Well, this morning we're blessed to have a, a friend who came to minister to the men yesterday and was very, very practical. One of the uh, one of the wonderful um, meetings we've had, I'll say, on the subject of uh, spiritual leadership in the home. And he uh, really ministered to us yesterday. He's a longtime um, friend of our church, and we're very blessed to have Duck Nichols, who is the uh, founder of Action International, and uh, he is the uh, international uh, director. We'd like to uh, give him a warm welcome as he comes this morning. Turn your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 4. First and Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles. I'd like to introduce uh, two of our missionaries, Paul and Jean Goodner. Would you stand, please? Uh, they have been here uh, one or two times, Paul and Jean, uh, working work in a recruitment with action and they travel uh, in ministry they've worked in Europe for many years they're leaving he is leaving with one of our other missionaries to uh, <clears throat> Zambia in uh, Malawi into this month to minister to needy pastors and Christian workers one of our ministries is uh, uh, working with children in crisis but another one is working with pastors and Christian workers there's 40,000 uh, untrained pastors just in the Philippines. There are 3.2 million untrained uh, pastors throughout the world. Uh, many of them have been put in a position because it's a young churches of maybe 20 or 30, maybe 10, and they just happen to be the most mature. And so uh, they may know where they may not know where First Chronicles is. Is there? Oh, really? Is there an Old Testament besides the New? Because many pastors only have a New Testament. And so Paul and one of our other missionaries will be teaching many of these pastors and the ministry of the Word of God. So pray for them as they go. Um, I've just, my wife Margaret and I, some of you do not really have met us yet. My wife here, Margaret, we just returned recently from three months of ministry in the Philippines. Uh, going to the Philippines and ministering over Christmas is like dying and going to heaven. We had such a wonderful time. You may not know it, but many people in the Philippines are Chinese. You know, Chinese Filipinos. And we had, uh, we ministered and, and uh, with many of our friends, uh, many of the women who Margaret has discipled over the years. And uh, small churches of 75, an Indian fellowship. Indians from India in, in Manila. 75 people one Sunday, all the way to a church of 30,000. It's 5,000 people each service, six services. I mean, well, I was tired. I tell you, the last service, when I walked up on this huge platform, I took a chair, a chair by where the, the keyboard was, and I just took a chair and put it over by the rostrum. And I actually, because in the fifth service, I found my leg, which I had a, a torn meniscus in week. I had been, I'd, I'd uh, kind of... I thought, I wonder if my leg's going to give up. So I, I would sit down in the chair and preach. The first time I've ever done that. And uh, it was quite interesting. But I made it through the six services by the grace of God. When I went to bed that night, I could not sleep. I was so tired. Has it ever happened to you? You're so intense and, and tired you couldn't sleep. But uh, God uh, really encouraged Margaret and I. And, and in fact, we've... Uh, told Dad, Dad Walter Jesperson, Margaret's father, who is usually with us. He's served many years in China in Sichuan Province. He's going to be 98 this month, uh, next week. And uh, 
and uh, he asked me one time, what are you going to do when I, when I die? And I said, Dad, as soon as you die, we're out of here. <laughs> we're, we're going back to Manila. And so uh, pray with us about that. We would like to, by the way, it's cheaper to die in Manila than in Seattle. And so, uh, so pray about that. I hope you don't mind if I use notes. Some of you have never heard our testimony. I didn't learn to read till I was older in life. And uh, I was speaking one time at a conference in, in the Philippines. And some of you have heard this, but this little boy who had just sung in a, in a choir, an orphan choir, and he was standing behind me. And as the, the, the procedure, the meeting kept going on, and, and he kind of stood next to me, and he saw me with my notes going over because I was speaking that night. He said, uh, what are those? I said, they're my notes. He said, uh, oh, are you speaking tonight? I said, yes. Now, this was a little five-year-old boy. He said, do you use notes when you speak? I said, well, yes, I do. He said, you're not very smart, are you? <laughs> well, he was correct. So uh, I was, uh, I, asked, I talked to Pastor Joe about this yesterday. Uh, this, uh, I, I worked on this message probably 25 years ago. It has to do with the, the life of Jabez. Uh, we even named our camp in the Philippines. We have a camp in a, in a school, in an orphanage on this uh, camp uh, land called Jabez. But because of a book that came out uh, about 20 years ago called The Prayer of Jabez, which is almost basically heretical. But it was so popular that everybody read it. I, I just could not feel freedom in, in ever presenting this message. But I began to work on it a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, in fact, I, I didn't finish because I was so encouraged myself in this. And so I, I'm not sure if it's, a, if, if it's a message preachable or not. But I want to go through the prayer of Jabez. Not necessarily the prayer, but the life of Jabez. And I've titled this, Living an Obscure Life to the Glory of God. In First, First Chronicles chapter 1 through 4. Is but a listing of births and marriages and deaths. Someone has called them a record of hatches, matches, and dispatches. Reading these first four chapters of First Chronicles is like walking to a cemetery with only simple grave markers. And suddenly, you come upon a, a grave mark, a monument with an epitaph engraved by God. And we read two verses... 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 and 10. And Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother named him Jabez. Because I bore him with pain. In verse 10. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me. And that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. And God granted Jabez what he requested. In verse 9, we read uh, this simple epitaph, or this description of the character of Jabez. Two things. First, we notice that he was, the scripture says he was honorable. God recorded that in his sight, Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. He alone, God, singled out from contemporaries to preserve an epitaph forever. Now, why was this? Scripture says because he was more honorable than others. An honorable person is one who has integrity. Basically, one who's trustworthy. As a godly person, 
One's honor would come as a result of what? Obedience. Following God. Obeying Him. In 1 Samuel 15.22 we read that obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. Obedience, we read in the New Testament, is the food of the believer. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of God. What he says, I will do. That's my food. That's my very life. C.S. Lewis said that we have the tendency to think without acting, to feel without acting, if we just keep thinking and just keep feeling, it will soon be too late to act. Yes, Jabez was more honorable, but number two, he was obscure and ordinary. We do not know any more about Jabez than we are told in just these two verses. In them, we have been given all that God basically has intended us to know about this man. Usually, remember people how? Because of some great accomplishment they have done. But no such achievement is recorded by, of Jabez. He was, a, he was nobody special. He wasn't a priest or Levite, a religious leader. He wasn't an athlete or a football player like Tim Tebow. Or he wasn't a military hero. He wasn't a famous singer with a Christian singer, I should say, with shaggy hair and pierced nose and hollow eyes and sad face and tight jeans. Why are all these advertisements, you see all these music groups, why are they all so sad? Why would anybody be drawn to the music today? Every, it looks like they all, they, like they died already. You know, Jabez wasn't the son of someone important. He wasn't simply one of, he was simply one of many obscure people, just like you and me. The great and godly J. Alzer Sanders of the late China in the Mission that later became the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. He said this in one of his books. He said, obscurity need not overshadow or eclipse our lives. So are you considered to be, by some, just to be ordinary? You know, just, just, just a housewife? You know, just a young mother? You know, just an elderly mother? Grandmother? Are you, are you just a, a car salesman or a, a meal worker or high school Student or youth worker or, or just one of many poor people or one of many rich people. Obscurity need not overshadow your life. Jabez was just one of many Hebrews listed. He's not even credited with having a wife or children. We need to remember that God often uses ordinary people to perform extraordinary tasks for him. Not selfish, not lazy, not childish people, but ordinary people. Those of you who know the life story of, of uh, Gladys Allward, the l- little woman in China. She was a little woman in England before she became a little woman in China. And she was a, a chambermaid. Do you know what a chambermaid was? They were the ones that took the, emptied the, the pots of the, from the bedrooms of the rich and she was just a maid. And yet God called her to China. And nobody would take her because she was so ordinary. But she trusted God for the funds and took that long trip across Russia into Japan and then to, to China. And she hiked up in this area and she worked in for years at this orphanage taking care of these children. Ordinary person. 
And then when Japan invaded China and she took those little kids that were going to be slaughtered by the, excuse me, the Japanese invaded China. And she took those little orphans that were going to be slaughtered by the the Japanese army. She took them over the mountain to to free China. The problem was... (laughs) The, the soldiers were getting closer and closer and she didn't think she was going to make it. They ran out of food and she was sitting on a rock one day crying and bemoaning this terrible plight that she was in. And one of the little girls came up to her, little orphan girl, 12 years of age, ordinary. We don't even know who she is either. Oh, she, who she was. She went up to Gladys and tried to encourage her and tried to, from the story of Moses, how he delivered the children of Israel uh, through the Red Sea to the Promised Land. And, and Gladys said to this little girl, but you don't understand, I'm not Moses. And the little girl said, well, I know you're not Moses, but God is still God. And see, God is the God of the ordinary. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God has chosen the foolish of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. That no man or woman should boast before God. There's a very interesting story in the book of Judges, chapters 11 and 12. It's the story of Jethro. Who was less than an ordinary person. You've heard of Jethro. He was the son of a prostitute. Driven out by his own family. And became the leader of a worthless band. However, he was later chosen to be the leader of Israel. Two whole chapters in the book of Judges are given to the life of Jethro. How he led Israel in victory. He made a vow. And he kept it. Now there's something very interesting. After Jephthah died, there's only a sentence or two about the next judge, whose name was Ebzan. All the Bible records about Ebzah was that he had 30 sons and 30 daughters, and he died and was buried. That's what it says. And then there's the next judge, Abdon, who judged Israel for eight years. It says he had 40 sons. 30 grandsons who rode 70 donkeys. <laughs> then the Bible said Abdon died and was buried. That's all it says. Now, will this be the kind of epitaph you have? Is this how you want to be remembered? That you lived, had a lot of kids, had a lot of grandchildren who rode donkeys? Or motorcycles, or drove BMWs, or Lexus, and and then you died and were buried? Will that be the epitaph that you will be remembered by? Or will it be a person like Jephthah, that you were a mighty warrior of faith for God, a soldier of the cross, who served Christ and kept your vows in spite of your inability or your background? And we see the description of Jabez in verse 9. Now... Let's look at the entreaty, the prayer of Jabez in verse 10. God could pay Jabez no greater respect than to record his prayer. It is very short. Remember, prayer is not measured by its length, but by its strength. Number one, he prayed for his encouragement to be blessed by God. 
He said, oh, that you, O God, would bless me indeed. That was his plea. He cried out to God for a special blessing. For Jabez knew that only then could he be a blessing to others. See, God blesses you that you might bless others. Remember that. God had promised his people an inheritance in the promised land. But they were unable to drive out the inhabitants on their own. Jabez, realizing his insufficiency, prayed that God would bless him in this struggle of driving out the Canaanites. If God would not bless him, Jabez knew that he would be unsuccessful just as his brethren, his other Israelites had been. Now, Jabez wasn't being selfish. Some commentaries say that he simply wanted what God had promised. His prayer was blessing for it was legitimate and one we ought to pray today that God would bless us and use us to fulfill the commands that God has given to us to glorify him among the nations with the gospel of Christ. Have you prayed this blessing on your life? If we pray for God to cleanse us and to fill us and to to strengthen us and to bless us, then we can pray for God to use us. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. For example, in 1 John 3, 17, we read that whoever is blessed of God with the world's goods and sees another in need, especially his brother's, And does not do anything about it. The love of God does not abide in him. The Apostle John describes this person, a Christian, as having two characteristics. First, he has the world's goods. And secondly, he sees his brother in need. This is a situation he sees and he has. He sees the need. He has the means, the blessing of God that God has given him to meet that need. He sees sickness and he has medicine and medical training. He sees ignorance and he has knowledge. He he sees nakedness and he has clothing. He sees hunger and he has food. He, He sees lack of training and he has technical skills. He sees poverty and he 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 has money. He sees lostness and he has the gospel. The gospel, which is the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes. The simple question is when you see and I see these needs, will we relate this to what we have? Years ago, I came home from work quite disturbed. We were in the States at that time on furlough and I came home. I was really concerned that some of our missionaries had not received support, especially one of our missionaries. For some reason, no support came in for that month. And they had nothing. And uh, my, my son said, well, Daddy, did we get all of our support? We're sitting at the dining room table having a meal. And I was quite upset. And, and they could see I was upset. He said, well, Daddy, did, did we get all of our support? And I said, well, yes. You know, God blessed us this month. We got all of our support. And my son said, well, well wonderful. Then just give him half of ours. Well, you know what I said? Just the same thing you would have said. I said, we'll pray about it. <laughs> and my, by the way, I changed the topic, man. I made sure I did not discuss that topic anymore at the table, man. When we read that night our devotions, it was Daniel in the lion's den or, or something else. It was not about money. But the problem was when I put the kids to bed that night, I was having devotions with them. And as we prayed together, 
My daughter said as she prayed, Lord Jesus, help daddy not to be so selfish with our money. And I said, Robbie, you pray. And Robbie said, Lord Jesus, help daddy to write one of those pieces of paper tonight, a check tonight. And so often we do not relate what we have to what we see. He prayed for his encouragement, but next Jabez prayed for his enlargement or his expansion. He prayed and enlarged my border. This simply means to broaden, to, to widen, to increase. Jabez was discontent with limited opportunity to serve. He craved an enlarged sphere of influence for God. He sought new horizons to be crossed for the Lord. Let me quote Woodrow Crowell of Back to the Bible Broadcast. He said, Jabez was not content with the status quo. Israel had not conquered all the land that God had promised. And Jabez simply prayed that he would be faithful to the task of his less honorable brethren who had become evidently weary and discouraged. When so many today have become diverted and so many discouraged in the work of God, so many disillusioned with life, let's pray that God will strengthen us and, and enlarge our borders. After all, the task of the Lord gave, he gave us must be accomplished. If not by you and me, then by whom? Jabez's prayer was a prayer of faith, a prayer of discontent with repeated failure. It was a prayer asking God to prosper the quest of Jabez to fulfill the program of God, not my selfishness. The late Kenneth Strathkin of the Latin American Mission said, I like men and women who have a vision beyond their horizons. In other words, not just what you can see, but what you can trust God for. One great missionary in India many years ago said, attempt great things for God, then expect great things from God. Someone else said, our plan should be so big that if they fail, only we get the blame. But if they succeed, only God gets the glory. And so often, you and I don't make plans because we're afraid that they will fail and we'll be embarrassed. Instead of trusting God to use us, that he might get the glory. Don't be content with ending your life by saying, well, I didn't do much, but what I did, I did well. What big deal? The world says that. Rather, you should be able to say, I did all I could to rescue the masses from hell. I may be young or inadequate or I may be old and shy, but I'm going to give it all I have to see the world reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come, people, let some of us work ourselves to death. Let's die with sweat on our brow, with our black back bent under the heaviness of the plow, with our clothes and our body worn out for the work of the glory of God. C.H. Spurgeon, the pastor of the Lord's Church in London, England, years ago, when his elders said, we're going to work yourself to death. He said, so what if I work too hard and die early? I'll just have less of this old world and more of glory. And thirdly, Jabez prays for his enablement. Jabez's prayer was that your hand be upon me. He knew he needed the presence and power of God to possess and develop the expanded territory the Lord would give to him. God's hand is a symbol of his strength and power. Ezekiel began his vision of the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me. 
When Nehemiah was permitted by the king of Persia to return to Jerusalem to help rebuild the, the walls, he, he concluded in Nehemiah 2.8, And the king granted my request according to the good hand of my God upon me. To have God's hand upon your life is to have his power in your life. That's what Jabez wanted. This little known man of honor was not interested in going it alone. He knew if God's hand would not be upon him, he could never claim his promised inheritance. He prayed for God to be by his side and grant him the power of his presence. I I was just reading a verse in Proverbs. Fear not sudden fear, nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes, because God is at my side. See, see, God's at my side. His presence. We read in Acts 11.21, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number turned to the Lord. To accomplish anything for the Lord, His hand must be upon us. A little boy had been lost from his parents for two years when he came to our home. Our, brought to the home by officials. Our home of joy, our orphanage in Metro Manila. It was impossible to find his parents. He'd been on the streets for two years. (laughs) In a city of 10 million people, how are you going to find a little boy's home? As uh, all he could remember was that he, he lived in a shack near a store that had a lot of bottles stacked next to it. And he remembered a blue bus that I used to drive by several times a day with a big heart on it. And all of a sudden he remembered that the government had just brought in these air-conditioned buses and they had certain routes. It cost a little bit more money to ride these buses. They were called the love bus because of the heart. And so we took what little money we had and we used to take that little boy on this expensive bus with our workers and and do the routes of these buses. And it was expensive. And one day we passed a, a shack. With a lot of bottles. We got out. And we found his parents. Who had lost him on the streets. Two years before. You can't accomplish anything like that. But that the hand of God is on you. Jabez prayed for his encouragement. And. Secondly, for his expansion. Thirdly, for his enablement. Now, notice that. Fourthly, he prayed for his environment. Keep me from harm, evil, that it may not pain me. Attempting great things for God invokes attack. And a large border exposes more area to the enemy. Someone said, any decision you make for God today and his glory will be contested by Satan tomorrow. And Satan may not just wait till tomorrow. Let's face it, people. Do you think your mother or father or grandparents or children are going to jump up and down and click their heels with joy if you decide to follow God to Asia or Africa or Latin America? Do you think there, there, you have a lot of encouragement if you step out in faith to sacrificially serve God to those around you as well as beyond you? Jesus felt the agony and pain of the cross all of his life. 
He has said to us that if we follow him, that we must also take up our cross every day. Do we glory in the cross or do we just talk about it and sometimes preach about it? So let me ask you a question today. Do you have any scars as a result of your love and service for and taking up the cross of Christ? Do you? Have you ever wept any tears or shed any blood or gone through any suffering at all for Jesus' sake? Have you been faced with any decision which caused you to be mis- misunderstood and caused you pain because of your love for the Lord? There are a lot of experts today who have all the answers in dealing with painful decisions, aren't they? If there are any of you here today, let me ask you a few questions. What would you do? If you and your team in Manila planned a one-week camp for street kids, and the only money you had was for 75 street children, but the first day of camp, 280 showed up, what would you do? You'd have to send some away, wouldn't you? But if you were going to send them, which ones would you send away? What would you do if you planned a day camp in Africa for 150 children? But on the first day, 250 came. On the second day, 350 showed up. The third day, 400. And the fourth day, 800 children came to this day camp that they heard. If they came to this camp, you would love them and care for them and feed them and they could be safe. They wouldn't have to be just concerned about the abusive adults on the street and to rape them and so forth. And they came, 800, you only had money for 150. What would you, what would you do? What would you do if you planned uh, and had funds for a Christmas party for 10 prisoners who had recently trusted Christ and then became aware that there would be 200 other prisoners listening in and watching Would you invite them also? And if you were going to invite them, what money would you use? What would you do if you published a gospel ad in a secular magazine with finances only to handle 100 people? But the first week you received 3,000 letters. And 90% of them ask you to visit them in their home. What would you do about that? What would you do if you and your team who were conducting a midnight ministry for 150 underprivileged children at 2 in the morning in the city park? You led a 9-year-old girl to Christ and then you found out that this little 9-year-old girl was a child prostitute. And the lady she was living with in the park who was selling her to men. And what, what would you do in a case like that? Hard decisions? Let the experts come up with the answer to those. Let me mention just a couple more. What would you do if one of your follow-up workers, visiting a small boy who had trusted Christ the week before in a camp, became aware that the boy had no food in the house and had not eaten since the last day of the camp, which was four days before? His sister had died the previous week of tuberculosis, his father had, been, had just abandoned the family. His mother had TB, and they had no money for food or for medicine. What would you do? Would you, would you close your, stop your Bible study, and, as a follow-up worker did, and, 
and take the family to buy some food and medicines and feed them and have and then have the Bible study. That's what he did. I hope you do that. But what would you do if you later found out that the follow-up worker had used all of his own personal money and the organization had no money to pay him back? What would you do if you already were swamped with nearly 8,000 people who had trusted Christ during the year and yet more people were crying out for follow-up, for Bible studies, for counsel, for help? See, these are just some of the situations we're faced with all the time in missions. Others may not be as dramatic as these, but many are. What would you do? It's very easy for people to say, well, all you have to do is say no. Well, we'd like to invite you, those who are the experts and who know how to say no, could come with action and go to Africa or Latin America or Asia, the streets of Mexico City or Manila, and you've been in a position to say no. People are needed to reach out to others in the name of Christ to ask the Sovereign Lord to give them wisdom in dealing with situations like these, to share the gospel, the glorious gospel to men and women, boys and girls, and to plead with them to turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. The need is overwhelming. The opportunities are staggering. What can we do? All we can. That's what we can do. Now, let me, have a, let me just make a few final thoughts. We read at the end of this passage of Scripture that and God granted Jabez what he requested. As we see the magnitude of Jabez's request, we have a greater appreciation of how God delights in answering the big prayers of the righteous. God does not gain joy only by answering the prayers of Christian Superheroes, whoever they may be. He takes great delight in answering the big prayers of people, ordinary people, just like you and just like me. If we learn anything from Jabez, it ought to be that the only thing necessary to stand out in God's crowd is to live lives of honor to him and call on him in trust and prayer. If we are truly men and women of honor, we will... Interrupt the monotony of our genealogy and make a mark for God among the masses of the world. So are you a Jabez? Jabez, the name Jabez means pain. So will you suffer the pain of sacrifice and dedication that the people of the world may know the Prince of Peace and the one who delivers from the pain of everlasting torment? Jesus is the one who does that. Will you suffer in your community, in your country, in your world, in your family, in your job, in your situation right now that you're faced today, that people may know the Savior, Jesus Christ? In closing, let me ask you a question. Do you pray as Jabez? It's so easy to pray to be an Abraham, isn't it? To be, to be men and women of faith. To be like Moses and lead people into the promised land. To be a mighty warrior like David. To, to be a Daniel and be delivered from the mouths of lions. To be a Mary who millions idolize. It's so easy to pray to be a mighty rock like Peter or a missionary pioneer like Paul. But today, as we close this service today... Will you begin to pray by God's grace that he, God, 
will make you a Jabez. To change your name to pain. That you would be willing to endure the pain of separation, of misunderstanding, of loneliness, and the pain of suffering that others may know the pain Christ suffered on the cross for them, for their sin. That they may not have to suffer the pain of eternal separation from God in a lost eternity. May we be willing to endure the pain of whatever it takes that the three billion lost people in the world will come to know the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would live and pray as Jabez, that the world may know of Jesus, that you, O God, the God of Israel, you, God, would grant our request. Father, thank you for these two little verses in the middle of all these names. I bring glory and honor to you. Father, may we trust you as this man Jabez did. But may we follow in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of eternity. That we might pray to you in his name. That you would use us for your glory in this day. God, make us a Jabez. People of pain willing to suffer for the name of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.